and welcome to our latest Parapella podcast. Uh, we've called it the countdown to the consumer duty. And that's because there's just over two months to go. Um, and what is sort of being hailed to be a fundamental change in, in the way that we deal with clients and, and the way that we deal within our businesses and the support that paraplanners can give. So we are going to cover what our paraplanners are doing to prepare for the launch of the consumer duty and uh, what things are they putting in place and what things are likely to change after the 31st of July. And I'm, I'm really pleased to be joined just uh, by Rhys Edwards uh, from Hampshire Hill and we've got Rob Kingsbury from Professional Paraplanner. Um, so the other two podcasters that we normally have have other, other activities planned for today. So there's just the three of us. But I think we've got more than enough going on um, with consumer duty at the moment. So I'm going to open it up. Um, we were just talk, talk, just talking online uh, a little bit before we, we, we started. And, and Rob, you were saying the professional planner is actually doing a survey at the moment. So tell me more. Yeah, so we're actually in the middle of it. Um, but um, so it's, a, it's a, one of our parameters surveys um, that we go out to the, the power planning community and just sort of try and get a snapshot of, of where they are on certain things. Um, so actually, this week we are in the middle of it, um, but I think I can draw some preliminary results, which uh, which should be quite interesting. So, if I um, if I sort of rattle through some of these, I might throw up some some ideas for us. Um, so the first thing we asked um, Paraplanners was, um, did they think consumer duty was a good thing for financial advice um, profession? Um, and seventy one percent said yes, which is good. Um, only eight percent said no. Okay. Um, we asked them how confident they were that they knew what the consumer duty rules required of their firm. Um, 12% said they were very confident. 58% said moderately confident. 9% were not confident. We asked them the same question, but about their role as a power planner. So how confident did they feel about their role as a power planner in, in knowing what the consumer duty rules required of them? 16% were confident, very confident. 49% moderately confident, uh, again, 9% not confident, presumably these are similar types of firms. Um, we asked them using a scale of one to five to say how they ready they felt their firm was for the consumer duty at the present moment in time. So actually that is this week. Um, so those who thought their firm was fully ready was just 5%. Really? Mm. There were 81% were sort of make were between three and five, or well, three and four. So that's you can say sort of moderately ready. Not ready was four percent. Okay. And I thought quite a telling one is um, we asked them how they've been learning what they needed to do as a power planner to conform with the consumer duty. Um, and the highest number, I mean, they could answer any of these, they could answer more than one of these, um, you know, tick more than one of these answers, but 68% were learning it themselves. It was self-learning which is quite high. And then it was compliance um, in their firm, FCA documents, external compliance, trade press, and right down at the bottom, senior management in your firm. Um, so, you know, you, you tend to think that uh, senior management, you know, everything would be filtering down from senior management, wouldn't you? Mm -hmm. But uh, maybe maybe what they've done is said, it's, they've talked to the compliance department and said, you work it out and tell us what to do. Yeah. But, uh, there we go. So yeah, that's our that's the, that's the set of, of um, answers we've got at the moment. I think I imagine it will stay pretty much the same. We've got a couple more days to uh, with the survey being open. So right. I reckon. I, that's I, 
And I think that probably reflects, I've been to a number of conferences recently and had some really good discussions with, with advisory firms and para planners around, around where the firms were on their journey and, and some of the things that they were being involved in at the moment and, and, and what para planners are actually being asked to do. And, and again, some of that was quite interesting um, in, in terms of some of the some of the work that they're undertaking currently to make sure that they're ready for the 31st of July. And there was probably two areas specifically, which we'll, we'll, we'll probably come on to. And, and that was uh, the, the, the fair value and pricing piece uh, in terms of which they need to sort of complete in terms of as organizations, you know, where is their value in their price? Uh, and the second and, and the second one was around effective communications. You know, they, they they were sort of two areas that were sort of coming out quite strongly in the conversations that I've had. So let me just open this a little bit more then. And, and, and Reese, what are you doing at the moment to prepare, prepare for the launch of the consumer duty? You know, what, what are the things that are sort of happening in Hampshire Hill that uh, to make sure that you're ready by the 31st of July? And, and, and where are Paraplans being involved? I think when we're talking about contributivity we've got this 31st of July deadline that everybody's talking about and be ready for the 31st of July have everything in place for the 31st of July um which was already moved back from the 31st of April which was the original deadline I think that the danger of that for firms is that by then you should have already stress tested a lot of the processes that you're bringing in and I think that's what's being missed so when we're I mean those stats that that uh, that Robertson I think very telling um, if people are feeling that their firm isn't already ready by now to be able to get everything through and stress tested by the 31st of July, that's, that's going to be some task. Um, so what we've been doing, we've, we've been having very regular meetings sat with our um, implementation plan. Um, we devised the, the four, uh, the four, main objectives of consumer duty or the, the outcome sorry um we kind of split up our policies procedures um our processes uh, and any any um how to's that we've got within the firm we kind of tagged them to the outcome that they are going to uh that they are going to help us meet um and then yeah just every month we took a batch we went through them um after doing a, a fairly thorough gap analysis um and that's how we've we've built the plan where we're going to be ready before the end of this month. And then it's just a case of making sure that everything is stress tested and, and, and properly documented before the 31st of July. In terms of the power plans, what we've where we've focused them um, is more around the, the areas that they are going to touch. So consumer support, for example, um, we've tried not to take too much input from power plans because they're not client facing at Hampshire Hill. So although they understand what will need to happen, um, you know, if they're asked to get values or if they're asked for any information, we expect them to get it to the client facing member of staff in a timely manner. We try to keep them away from, uh, from that. It's more been around the consumer understanding piece with anything that they're writing, any documents that go out to the clients. We've made it much more of a team uh, task now if there's anything that needs sending out any emails so everybody's seeing the vocabulary that we're using everybody's see you know kind of the anti-jargon spiels that we're putting together um and then products and service and price and value for power plans we've almost grouped those together you know we've got our investment proposition um and our esg investment uh policy as well that uh, that we adhere to um we've got our own kind of fee matrixes for for our own um our own charges so we're asking the power plans right okay 
if there's any major changes or anything in there that doesn't fit with what we have agreed, um, that's where you need to flag it up. And that that's sort of where we've kind of, you know, give uh, starts and finished their responsibility. Because again, what Rob was saying there, I don't find it surprising, but I, I, I always find it baffling that they should be led by senior management. Power planners should be led by senior management. You know, it shouldn't be that they have to learn about it themselves and then tell, you know, their superiors um, what needs to be done. They should really find out what is the, how is the firm looking to meet the four outcomes of consumer duty and then be telling them how that fits in. I just find it absolutely baffling that still senior managers don't seem to be taking that responsibility. And I think there's a fair, I mean, again, with my conversations, there's a fair mix in terms of, you probably have a fair fair mix in the types of power planners that are responding to that, depending on the organisation. So some some of the larger organisations larger organizations and certainly some of the networks and uh, with the power planners mm-hmm. within those are probably that little bit further down where they're being asked to be involved in a lot more of the sort of the creation of um, uh, of a, their own sort of positioning documents. Um, I, I know some paraplanners have been involved and, and are likely to be involved in, in assessing the fair value statements that have come from providers to say, just have a look at those. Are they consistent? Do, do they meet what we need to be able to meet to demonstrate back to the FCA that we've done our due diligence? Can you, because I mean, I, you know, one good thing that paraplanners are good at is analyzing information. So so they, they're utilizing some paraplanner resource and, uh, to, to, to go through those and also help them then to build their own statement values, um, you know, in terms of that, because again, paraplanners are really good at communicating and putting information together in a way that's understandable. So I know some paraplanners have been asked to, to help with those statement values as well, um, uh, as the case may be. Rob, Rob, you, you you've been running some articles, haven't you? So I know I know within because I wrote one, so I do know that you've had some articles, and and I've read some of the ones that have been in professional paraplanner as well. But I do know that you've had a series of articles, you know, over the last sort of four or five months about different things that 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 the consumer duties requires of paraplanning. Um, have you got any more sort of plan for those, or is it a matter of paraplanners just just being able to, to to access that resource as and when they need it. Um, yeah, yeah, sure. Um, we've got uh, yeah, we have got this, this the um, uh, quite a few um, um, consumer duty articles on, on there, including your own, which was actually really really good. Um, that's under our development zone. I, I actually recommend people. I'm not buttering you up here, Richard, but um, you know, I think people should uh, should read that one. Um, yeah, and we've still got yeah, we've got plans to to, to do some more. I mean. We've now passed the 30th of April point, so um, people have got a bit more clarity um, of, of you know, who's doing what and, and you can say the product providers information. So we're going to be looking a bit more about that and also, you know, again, what power planners need to do um, you know, to make sure they're conforming. Yeah. Reese, where, where, I mean, where, where did you sort of find your information from? I know, Rob, you were saying that uh, in your sort of survey that a lot of people are finding their own sort of information about consumer duty. Um, and, and I know uh, Sean and, and, and Michelle have done a lot of research within their organisations about the consumer duty and how they can and how they can support their advisors that they work with. But where, where, where's your information come from, Reese? So I started with the uh, I went directly to the FCA consultancy papers um, and looked at the FCA monthly bulletins, which um, I don't think it would be a surprise to anybody to say that, that they're very dry. Um and then after that, it was a case of I use Simply Biz. They've got a consumer duty hub, um, which uh, which is which is pretty pretty good, very thorough. Then it was a case of after we'd done our gap analysis, um, it was finding webinars from providers 
um, or from any uh, compliance support people. Um, and then alongside that, it was reading any articles that people were putting together regarding consumer duty. We just took the decision that particularly the start of this year, back end of last year, we're going to get as much information from as many different sources as we possibly could. Um, because the the outcomes, they, they sound fairly self-explanatory, but if you actually read, if, if you read the consultancy papers from the FCA, they're still open to interpretation, as is everything with the FCA. So it was trying to kind of build consistency within Hampshire Hill from putting the information from a lot of different sources. Um, so yeah, it was quite wide reaching, but because it, you know, obviously with how much press it's getting, it wasn't difficult to find um, a lot of information, um, a lot of webinars, um, you know, that you can log on to and have been recorded. So you could still find them now if, uh, you know, if you needed to. I think so. I, I agree with you. And there's there's two. I think that sources from the FCA that I found exceptionally useful uh, in terms of the guide. I mean, it, it is guidance, and as you say, there's no specific rules, but there's 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 certainly information in there that you read between the lines, and you think, aha, I need to do that. Aha, I can add some value in that as a para planner. And they were the and they were the uh, the FCA implementation podcasts, um, and and that the, they're recorded as videos. But they also have them as transcripts as well. So if you, if you go into the FCA website, look at the podcasts that they've done and look at the transcripts of those as well. It gives you a lot of information, really useful information about the fair value piece and a lot of really good information about the communication piece in terms of what's expected. And 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 it's quite telling in terms of some of the things there that they're expecting. And, it, and it, it's scalable. So obviously, depending on the size of the business, they'll expect you to do this more often. But if it's a smaller business, they want something in there. But it isn't necessarily something that you're going to do every day or every week or whatever, but they would be something that they want. And and the telling one on communication for me was the uh, assessing the effectiveness of communication. So so they're, they're expecting you to do that initial analysis. Um, and, and, and I think all paraplanners, as you were saying, Reese, are being involved in. Uh, and are likely to be involved in the next two months looking at their existing communications and saying, does this hit the mark from a consumer duty perspective? And if it doesn't, then how are we going to change it? But then after then, after the 31st of July, it's that how are we going to assess this on an ongoing basis? What is our process going to be? What are our systems going to be? And what are we going to do as a result? Um, and, and and again, that is fairly clear where they expected, certainly in the podcast bit and, and, and the reading of that the transcript, it says we expect that to happen. As to how often and what it looks like, we can't tell you, but we expect it to happen. So, so how do you currently assess your effectiveness, and are you likely to change it? That was a bit I was going to get to with that big diatribe that I did there. So, yeah, we um, we use a lot of well, every single client immediately after suitability report uh, presentation, after any recommendation, gets a questionnaire um that asks specifically about their understanding of the recommendation that uh, has been made um and their understanding of the charges um that that uh, are going to affect them whether that's our charges or, or product charges um we also do the same on reviews so every review letter that gets sent to a client or after every review they get give it it looks slightly different but the information that we get on on that sort of thing is is the same um so we were doing what we think actually does cover us quite well for consumer duty 
we've been doing it since sort of 2015, 2016. Um, the thing that we are certainly going to change um, is how we record that data. Um, and making it more centralised rather than kind of advisor-specific or client-specific. Um, so as a firm, we will be able to judge, is there any trends here and things that people are not getting? And the other thing that we've uh, discussed, but we've only discussed it recently, so it might be, it, it, it might happen, it might not, um, is if we are starting to see trends, is taking a sample of clients and giving them a call and asking them further questions, but that would be somebody that wouldn't be their advisor. It would probably be the MD here or, or it would be, um, you know, a member of the senior management team. So um, that's how we're changing. But, um, yeah, I think it's it's asking a, a more points, yeah. Um, you know, rather than asking initially, you know, after you've had the, the first recommendation and then not asking the client again. We like to ask on review. So every year, every, every client will be asked at least once, hmm. you know, what was your understanding of the advice given? Do you fully understand the charges that are being applied to you? Um, and then taking that information. And it, it is looking for trends because I think one thing that you can get caught, um, one trap you can fall into is is changing things too often. If you just have one client that doesn't understand or that, you know, is a bit of an outlier, um, that's not enough to change the way that your firm does something you know, you've got to really kind of dig deeper and see see a real trend so yeah how often that is and how you know we've discussed that at length and we we've agreed six monthly at the moment um we could bring it back to quarterly depending on how many cases we put through it could even be extended to annually mm. so yeah that, that's where we are at the moment and we feel quite confident that the responses that we get back, the amount of responses that we get back gives gives us quite a nice kind of sample to say whether it's working or whether we need to change anything. Okay. Rob, I know you've been having some sort of technical insights, um, uh, webinars uh, and seminars that you've been holding around the country and, and whatever. And I'm sure consumer duties probably been part of the conversation during those one not necessarily a session but uh, have they not talked about it whilst they've well, in their coffee breaks and whatever is there is there a general discussion around power planets as to uh, as to what needs to be done between now and the end of july i think uh, one, one of the things that keeps uh, i mean obviously suitability reports is the you know yeah also of, of, of power plans and one of the things that have been coming up in conversations is that people think these will the, the consumer duty will actually help people um, reduce the, the size of suitability reports. So they have to be a bit more succinct. They'll have to have um, you know, more justification in the reports, but not at the expense of just sticking compliance paragraphs in it. So I'd quite be, in, be interested to actually learn if, if, if what you guys think of that. I mean, there were some specific, again, whilst not a directive, there were some specific sort of, I suppose guidance points that they gave in terms of suitability report, in terms of having a um, a summary at the beginning, uh, an executive summary uh, in an easy to understand, an easy to understand um, sort of basis that the clients could that the clients could understand, and then when it was more complex, drilling that down into later in the report and to appendices so that so that people could read them if they wanted to do so, and I, and I think there's certainly that. And then how would you change it? The other thing that came into that, how would you change that approach for people with vulnerability was the other thing. So so there was two, two things that, they, again, from a power planning point of view was there was how do we do that executive summary in a way that people understand? And then how would we change our process with people with elements of vulnerability um, and, 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 and wanting to have that 
I suppose, demonstrated in a way that's written down, but then also how is it actually done in practice? And what were sort of the two things that, that I sort of pulled out of that original uh, original consultation and, and feedback documents that came through. Reese, what have you sort of, I mean, are you, you, you're probably sort of got an executive summary to start already, um, but are, are you looking at, you know, have you sort of taken on board what they're suggesting by way of change already? Or is that something that you think you might do over time once you've got more of your feedback from, from the assessments that you're doing? I mean, the, the executive summary piece and how the, the, the reports are set out sort of, you know, it's kind of, it would, we've been writing reports that way. Um, Richard, our MD, he's going to be, he'll, he'll love this, listen to it. Um, he's been doing it the way that it's almost been suggested um, since basically Hampshire Hill was born. Um, so we're well ahead of that in terms of how the suitability reports are constructed um, right the way through to the technical information and, the, and then the appendices um, at the back of the report. So that that that's fine. Where we did need to change and do some further analysis was how we change that for vulnerable clients. Um, and the way that we've looked at it, we're trying not to say vulnerable or, or not vulnerable, if you know what I mean, because yeah. vulnerable is very subjective. Um, you know, there's, there's, there's permanent vulnerability, there's situational um, vulnerability. So it's, it's making sure that you, you change almost on a case by case basis, dependent on what the vulnerability of the client is. You know, if you've got a client that's got, um, uh, I can't even remember how to phrase it, but low, low literacy levels, you might not need to change the format of your report, but you might need to look at the language that you're using in the report. You know, you can be jargon free, but you might need to go even further than that. Um, large print, do you offer that as a service for people with 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 poor eyesight? Um, so it's that kind of thing. And in in practice, with the suitability reports, you know, one thing that we've kind of done here is is if you've got anybody that you they've either said um, that they are vulnerable or said that they have something that you would you class as vulnerable. Um, or whether through the sales process, through the questions that we've asked, and we have a form here that the advisors have to fill in if they think somebody is vulnerable and should be treated as such, it's not presenting that to somebody on their own. So the suitability report document itself might not change, but how you present it to to a client, um, and whether you take another copy for a re you know a relative or a friend, um, you know, or um, you know even a solicitor, somebody that they might trust to have with them, that's the bit that we're looking at changing. Um, and at the moment, that is still being stress tested to see how how far we need to go with that and how many options do you need to have. Okay, okay. And I think that, again, that makes totally sense. And, and again, with some of the uh, webinars uh, that I've seen uh, and seminars that I've been in, involved in and, and also uh, some of the, uh, been to some of the uh, conferences, again, that vulnerability piece is about making it individual. Um, mm. and, and, and sometimes it's right not to do something um, as long as you've recorded it so so the the the, the big change the big change that sort of came out of this was that I saw again uh, for for, for um, para planners or, or or for advisory firms was if you decide to do something as a result of vulnerability write it down explain what you've done and why and what the outcome is that you're looking for yeah. 
and 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 that was probably the biggest change that I saw uh, in, in terms of uh, of that need. Um, certainly, in terms of recording of information from a paraplanner point of view, why have you done something differently, and what is the outcome that you're looking for as a result of that vulnerability, or why haven't you done anything as yep. a result of that vulnerability, and write it down so it's clear. So if anybody asks that that information is ready to hand, um, you know that was the you know certainly where I see is that is that. Uh, again, what, where will paraplans be involved? I think where there's touch points in terms of where information may be required by the FCA is how are they going to record that information? Where is it going to be recorded? How can you recall that information effectively and efficiently? Um, you know, I think those are probably some of the questions that if paraplans don't know the answers to, perhaps they should start to ask the senior managers if they haven't got that information yet, because... Otherwise, what's likely to happen is you might get a you might get a request from the FCA to provide that information, and then it's the headless chicken syndrome, isn't it? You have to run around like a headless chicken trying to find all of that information in a very short space of time. Whereas if you think about it beforehand, of what might be required, and then have the processes in place and the recall of that information, it makes everybody's life that a little bit easier. I think that's uh, I think that's certainly again from from feedback that uh, direct feedback and direct input from FCA in terms of how they expect things to happen. Um, here's a question. I don't know the answer to this because I'm say not on the coal face, um, so so to speak. And I don't I don't do power planning every, every day of the week. Are we likely to change see changes in some of the support that's provided from from an IT perspective or provided from a provider support perspective? in being able to analyze and provide information relevant for the consumer duty um so you know our providers looking to provide extra support or extra software um for power planning organizations and companies and individuals to to, to, to actually record some of the detail that's a great question i've not been made aware of anybody doing that i'm, I'm yeah. sure there are people doing it because um you know there, there, there are so many changes that have to be taken into account um i think i just on, on that last point you made there you know just it's recording things isn't it really yes. um, and having the information to hand um one of the uh one of the, the, the one of the, the points that somebody brought up this they suggested that this might actually make serve I'll, I'll read it out to you the service levels from certain providers are shocking and this will put additional pressure on them to make, either change their processes or admit to being as poor service-wise as we already know they are so there's some hope there that maybe maybe data from providers will be delivered sort of um correctly accurately um, um yeah accurately and um and on time um, yeah. but uh, but i suppose there's a, there's also a, a feedback there through to yeah the, the the information recorded by advisors isn't there um on fact finds that's um often a, a power planner's um bugbear is they don't get the information from the advisors that they need um so i think this will make everybody think more about what am i what, what am i what, what information am i taking how am i recording it and am i recording it accurately yeah and that brings me on to one other point and in terms of I'm going to throw that one out there and 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 and, and again I I hope to see more of this and and and, and there are reasons why you know as, as a where I was in terms of my chartered financial uh, as I was a chartered financial planner and, and and I looked at things very holistically I was very big on 
uh, avoiding foreseeable harm. I never used to call it avoiding foreseeable harm. I used to call it protection, probably. Um, so it, it was it was really having those really meaningful conversations about the what ifs, the worst case scenarios. Uh, I know talking to to, to organisations and I know talking to paraplanners, they expect to see more conversations from advisors and more detailed information provided to them about about areas of foreseeable harm um, and how they can avoid it and what the options are. They may still do nothing, but that education piece about the implications of doing nothing certainly seems to be coming to the forefront. Would you would you agree with that, Reese? Would you would you, would you agree with that in terms of the sentiment? I mean, you probably gonna say we've always been doing that in, in, in terms of Hampshire Hill because I know you <laughs> do, but I still think I still think some advisors uh, avoid the question properly. Uh, if if I'm fair. You know, so. I think so. I think that it's only natural for client facing uh, staff or, or more specifically advisors to deal with the the issue at hand. You know, if a client's coming and they want to talk about their retirement, I think it's very easy and in many ways understandable for them just to deal with that. But you're right. We, we've been um, it's certainly something that we've been driving at now for, for a while that. You know, you you need to look at things holistically. You need to look at a client's complete situation. Um, I think that the regulator at some point might start to look at things that haven't been discussed more than what have been discussed. And by that, I'm talking about tax efficiencies, um, you know, whether IHT or, or, or income tax or capital gains tax with the movements that we've seen. Um as well as the obvious, you know, should the worst happen to a client, what would happen? We, I mean, we use cash flow forecasting for every client um, at the beginning of our process before any recommendations are made uh, to make clients aware of any of these issues that they could be facing. I think things like that are going to become more and more important as as you go as you go forward. And with consumer, if you're gonna if you're going to talk about products and services being fit for purpose which is almost word for, i think it's almost word for word yeah. of, uh, of, of one of the one of the pillars of consumer duty um i think that you're going to have to make sure that it's fit for purpose for someone's entire situation um because i think most now i shouldn't say most all financial advisors will look to to act in the client's best interest because that is their job but it's making sure that you're not just dealing with the issue that's been brought to the table it's looking at their entire situation and putting them in the best place that you possibly can um which is uh, we've, we've, we've talked about in uh previous podcasts you might need to shape up on inheritance tax mitigation um products you might need to look at income tax mitigation products these things that could harm the client you've got to be aware of them. You've got to discuss them. Um, and I think it will just get, I think it will become more natural for advisors as we go through now consumer duties here, uh, hopefully anyway. Um, but no, I agree. I think, I think it does need to be those discussions about the subsidiary bits that maybe the client didn't know that they needed to hear about. Uh, they need to be discussed and, and documented. And as we've said, right from the start, everything needs to be documented you know, how you've dealt with the client, what discussions you've had. Um, we're a fan of registers here. You know, if you've if you've got somebody that you talk about high-risk product, we have a register, uh, a vulnerable client. 
we've put that on the register as well. So the regulator can see all of these conversations that you've had. Um, so let's go into our Mystic Meg mode now and, and sort of predict the future. Um, so the consumer duty launches 31st of July. No doubt the FCA will be all over it and, and, and be asking larger organisations to start with what have they actually done and then it's probably smaller SMEs. What have they done as a result and what the outcomes and, 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 and maybe looking to make examples of one of two to embed that consumer duty. Um, I, I, you know, I expect that to happen. If we're 12 months down the line from now, so let's let, you know, a year, you know, July 2024, gosh, already. <laughs> um, and what, what, what will consumer duty have changed? You know, where, where, where will the changes have been, do you think, for para planners, you know, in terms of over the next sort of 12 months? You know, what, what, what things are they? Are they likely or potentially, do you think, to, to, to have changed either from a, a process procedure or from a knowledge perspective? I think what I think what I'd like to see is that power planners, the job should become much more process led. Um, and the work and, and the output should be much more consistent, um, which should save well it should save them some time in one respect but also it should make the jobs um slightly easier um which should then allow them to open up the knowledge on other areas you know and build processes and make, and make things um much more streamlined uh you know if we, if we all know you know where we're going and, and firms have a consistent um consistent way of working which is probably your best uh, chance at, at meeting the consumer duty um, outcomes then it, over the next year that's what I think we should see power planners striving towards you know get a consistent approach to everything that you're doing um, so in, in in many ways it, it should make it easier I say should because let's be honest it's, it's not going to work out that way that's very idealistic but it uh, that that's that's how I'd like things to that's how I'd like things to go and also um power planners should be more comfortable to review the processes that they are involved in so if there are any areas where they think actually i need to look at how i'm documenting this um or you know over the last quarter i've seen clients that are, are divorced but no one's categorizing as vulnerable can we can we look at that it should give them a lot more opportunity to get involved in those areas of of the business as well so yeah, I would. I would hope it's going to be a good thing for for power planners moving forward. Okay, I'll, 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 no doubt there'll be more surveys coming our way over the over the next sort of twelve twelve months or so, and 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 the relevant ones as well. Um, um, Rob, what do you, what do you think in terms of changes? Um, you know, after July, you know, where, where where do you think the profession's going to go as a result of consumer duty? And, and I know you you quite often have your finger on the pulse here. Um, you know, as a, uh, you know, in terms of what you do a professional power planner. Yeah, I mean, I, I, overall, I think it's, it's got to be a good thing. Um, I mean, there's obviously, um, there's going to be more work for people. Um, I think we'll see technology be used more um, within the industry. I mean, won't, you might necessarily, you know, come in immediately after after um, consumer duty is implemented, or even within the first year. But I think people when we use use it more and more to to, to achieve that consistency that Reese was was talking about. Because um, if you have got, you know, much more, in, if you've got to record more, you want to be able to do it in a way that's that's easy. Um, you want to you make sure that it's happening across 
everybody in the business. And if you know, if you've got a small business, that's easier. If you've got 100, 100 power planners, or, you know, working all working on all around the country, then not so easy. Um, so I, I think, yeah, I think we'll see more of that. I think we'll see more more people look at the, the systems they can bring in to help people, you know, to help them um, achieve that consistency and speed up the flow. Because um, otherwise, I can see people can get bogged down in this. Yeah, yeah, and and I think again, it's that it is making it uh, making it scalable. You know, it, 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 there is sometimes a fear with a new, uh, you know, a new processes and new systems that you don't, you know, make make it relative to the size of the businesses that you work with. Don't it become don't, don't it become an all consuming, all eating um, outcome? You know, we, we still need to be profitable. We under, you know, the FCA understands that. Um, you know, but it's making it scalable relative to the business that you do uh, and where your involvement is. I, I think there's two areas for me that that that, that I'm going to I'm, I'm going to touch on here, and 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 one is we're changing to outcomes based regulation, aren't we? Mm -hmm. the, the ability at the press of a button to demonstrate why it's in the client's best interest and what you've done, the, why the, how you've done that, and and what's the best that you've done to get to that end result. Um, and I think there's. There's a major review that's going to go on a thematic review around um, retirement provision. So, so what you know, what what solutions are there out in retirement? At the same time, also looking at equity release. You know, I mean, we moved, they moved away from the suitability review, and then they're looking at the how does this all fit together? So, so I think you know, twelve months time, there will likely be. And again, this is a we'll look back at this in 12 months time and see whether I was right on this one. As a result of that review, I think there will be more of a more of an holistic look at that retirement provision. So so things like I mean, like we do, with you know, our, our financial planning in retirement, it's not about retirement products. It's about all the different solutions where you can have a decent income when you retire from whatever source. And, and I think more of that holistic the what ifs the opportunities the different ways of doing things will probably where paraplanes can add a lot of value in that conversation um and if you haven't got that level of technical capability yet think of the future thinking where might that go and think you know over the next 12 months that might be one area where you can add a lot of value by having that more holistic outlook um you know and 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 again, that's just by reading the language of, of what the FCA are saying now. They want that ability for organisations and the people within those organisations to be able to demonstrate that they've added true value and they've understood all the issues. And that, you know, that that's that's my two pennies worth in, 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 into that. And I think technology, as you rightly say, will change um uh, uh, maybe not maybe not over uh, maybe not overnight um let's not have the ai debate today um that might be, <laughs> that might be for another day um but uh, and i'm looking forward to that day when we have that conversation about ai because uh, i think that again brings lots of opportunity um you know my, my, myself and, and and not to be feared okay so so let's uh, let, let's sort of bring this around to a you know to a roundabout thing okay so so in the just just to sort of finish off bearing in mind what you were saying in terms of the the, the, the vast majority are um, moderately confident um not many very confident in terms of being ready for consumer duty uh, in the questions and in the survey that you're doing at the moment rob and uh, some individuals and some within the organization are having to learn it themselves and not getting too much input from that senior managers 
how do we get them more confident between now and the end of July? And how do we get them to engage with their senior managers more? That's how I'm going to finish this podcast. So any ideas on that? Rob and Reese. Hmm. Now, I think the, the see this, the communicating with the senior management thing for me is always a difficult one to, to kind of answer because it does depend on the structure of the firm. Yeah. Um, so here, for example, you know, we're, we're, we're a small firm. Um, you know, my, my team all work there so they can literally just come through into, into my office and talk to me should they need to. Uh, and Richard, the MD, he's, he's there. So, um, you know, we, we can, I'm pointing on a podcast. I'm just realizing that. Uh, That's next it's door. just the right of him. For those, for those of you that aren't watching, it's just to the right of him. As I'm looking yeah, yeah, to the right and upstairs. Yeah, it, so having those conversations is quite easy, but I do. I think it's just about being confident to ask when you don't know. That's that's going to be the the kicker. It's not necessarily, you know, speaking to your senior manager going, "I don't feel like we've done anything about this." It's more, I've read this about consumer duty uh, and something that we should be going towards. I don't know how we do this. Can someone just explain it to me? And then you can open that conversation. In terms of learning more about it you know, between now and then for, for power planners, um, it is just going to be a case of getting on the internet. In fact, there are hundreds of webinars out there about consumer duty. Um, it's not going to be that difficult to find information. It's just making sure that you're not getting so bogged down in the same part of consumer duty because there's, there's, there is a lot to it, um, which is probably why I think you're getting the outcome where people don't feel confident. I think it's because it's, you know, we've tried to boil it down to the four outcomes because that makes it easy to understand. It's more palatable. It's something that you can, um, it, it doesn't seem as scary uh, if, if you do it that way, but it is quite a big piece of legislation um, or regulation, sorry. Um, so yeah, it, it's not getting too bogged down in the same areas thinking about the parts of it that you don't know enough about and just focusing on those. Um, and yeah, just understanding what your firm's view is, you know, and what, what changes your firm is looking to make. And also, as we've said earlier, it is going to be a case of documenting and being able to get a lot of information together in a fairly short space of time, should the regulator want it. Make sure you understand what your responsibility will be should that happen so we don't end up with headless chicken syndrome. If there is a register to, to log vulnerable clients and how you've dealt with them, know where that is or who you would need to speak to to get it or how you need to uh, input into it. Um, and it's, it's that sort of thing. So that, I think that's the best way to be prepared for it. And the other thing I would say for power plans as well, which is firm specific, but make sure you are prepared for your responsibilities within it. Don't try and take responsibility for the firm. If your senior management is not where they need to be, but you are following their interpretation of consumer duty, it might be a slightly you know, different career decision that you have to make, but that is, you are going to be doing your job. Um, so yeah, I'm not saying shirt responsibility, but you need to fit in with what your firm is saying. Yeah, and I think a lot of businesses have still got to make their final decisions as to what they're going to do and how they're going to do it. And the timeline for them is shortening, which means that the timeline and the impact on some power planners might be very short in terms of where they're going to impose or, or look at that working with them. And I think uh, 
I think you're right now. Rob, I, I, anything you want to add to that? And, I'll, and I'm just going to summarise up with just one final comment. Yeah, I just, I just think, um, but I'd say going back to the to the, the you know, prelim survey results, um, it is encouraging that actually most of the figures are up there in the, yeah. we're nearly ready. Correct. Um, so I think everybody's you know heading in that direct in the right direction. Um, and yeah, and I, and I agree with with Reese that you know it's about you know knowing you, you learning what you need to know, um, and if you're getting support from your your, your, your managers and, and your compliance team, that's that's fantastic. And if you're not, make sure that you're ready um, and and know the overall picture um, and what you need to do as a power planner because you know that all power planners will do the best job they can and. Uh, you know, I'm sure everybody everybody's learning in some way. So, no, I agree. And and, and for me, the, the one bit I want to is, is is if you're worried about asking, do it in a very soft way. Um, so you know, you know, there's no harm in asking. You know, consumer duty. We all know it starts on the 31st of July. You know, what plans have we got? You know, what plans have we got between now and the 31st of July? And what do you want to meet? What would you like me to be involved in? Is a very soft way of just engage, just getting that understanding of where your organisation or where your business is going to go, and what expectations they've got for the next two months. So you know, even a very soft question. If you're worried about being too harsh or too hard, and, and not asking, just do it in a very soft way, and, and and that's very hard. It's a very open question, and 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 you're likely to get some sort of feedback as to as to what's likely to come your way, or if anything, uh, over the next couple of months, and then. You know, and, and also ask, you know, what involvement do you want from me after the 31st of July in, in recording of information? You know, at least then you start to understand where your business processes are going. But I would think if you haven't got that information, probably sort of coming your way sort of uh, it, by mid-June, um, I would definitely start to probably start to ask those questions because your timeline is getting very, very, very short. So. So in the in, in the time that we've had available, we've covered a hell of a lot in that. Um, so, uh, uh, you know, uh, Rob, you, you know, I'm quite looking forward to the outcome of this survey. Um, so uh, uh, that's going to be that's going to be really, uh, really useful. Uh, you know, and again, something that we will, you know, we'll look to promote and uh, and analyze and, and, and try and help power plans get ready. And, and Reese, your input there was very, very valuable. You know, thank you. Thank you very, thank you very much. much. <laughs> um, so from, from from my perspective, um my next paraplanner podcast i'm probably other things that are likely to happen um i know it's been put i know it's been sort of put put back a little bit to third quarter um but uh esg the the uh, sustainable sustainable disclosure regime and greenwashing um you know i think uh might be time to have a bit of a podcast around uh, around where that's going and i might get an outside speaker for that and and uh We'll look for that one in June and then July. Um, I'm I'm looking at maybe EIS VCT. Um, you know, again, let's uh, uh, get beyond uh, consumer duty and then and then look at what supports available there for for for, for some of those more tax efficient investments that that maybe might form part of the alternative alternatives that you need to consider uh, and at least have awareness of. So we'll we'll help you um, during the rest of this year in our podcast is some of that how do we help people have that greater awareness of the holistic side of things i think that's my i think that's my plan um, for the rest of the year but you know and, and enjoy your next bank holiday that's that's so uh, this will probably come out uh, uh, just before the next one but uh, everyone enjoy your next bank holiday that's the third one that you've had this month um and then i don't think there's any more till august so uh, you know have a really good time and, and again thanks rob and thanks reese